cuddly donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and it is time, everybody, for Morning Combat. Hello there. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. I'm from CBS Sports and Showtime and Washington, D.C., I guess. Uh, he is the Q to my Anon. He is the conspiracy to my theory. He is the Roth to my child or something like that. I don't even know what he would be. He is the King of Connecticut, the uh, apathy to myself titled. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? Also from CBS Sports. How are you, Thank sir? Thank you, Luke. Hi, Luke. We've uh, we've got this uh, afternoon, and we've got this show for two. So there's only one thing left to do, Luke. Discover me, discovering you. 48 degrees today in the in the frozen tundra of Connecticut. I'm very excited to be here. Hump day. No Jay Wednesday. Uh, spinning the wheel of death today. Talking fights with you. We're back. A lot of great wellness checks done in my DMs from our fine listeners around the world. So thank you, folks. Uh, it's We're going day by day, hour by hour here. But today's a good day, Luke. Didn't even have to use the AK one time. <laughs> Very good. I'm glad to see that. I watched, uh, what was the movie that they made with uh, about NWA? Um, where Ice uh, Cube's son played himself. Yeah, yeah. Played what him. was that? Straight out of Compton, maybe? Straight out of Compton, yeah. I yeah. saw that the other day. It's, it's okay. A little overrated, but it's fine. Uh, all right. Well, today we have a lot to get to. There's actually tons of boxing and MMA headlines from Nurmagomedov being pretty definitive about his future. We are now just three or so days away from the return of Canelo Alvarez, but should we be? We're going to get to some of that as well. Plus, we're going to spin the wheel. We got some SJ dubs, and we have fan submissions. I've not seen any of this stuff, so very curious to see how that goes. If Hopefully, you would we have be less. So kind, we are... I need less way, fan are... submissions, please. I should please. point. I should point out that we are. Uh, less than a hundred subs away from 80k, so we're very, very close to the next milestone. Obviously, we have you know bigger dreams than just 80k, but that's the next piece. Got to celebrate all the small victories. So please help us get there. Like the video, uh, or give it a thumbs up, and then hit that subscribe button, notification bell. And if you're watching this right now, and you know a friend who likes MMA content, and they don't know about this show, send this to them, please, because this is the best show in combat sports. Great, great um, no-sell on the sport of boxing right there, Luke. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are, you know, there are mean, boxing fans out there, too. You know? Yeah, there's some. There's some. That's true. It's like 5% of our audience, but there's some. All right, but with that in mind, we do have a lot of boxing to get to today. So by all means, if you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. Showtime.com for a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, go fuck yourself. Uh, if, you would, if you sign up for Showtime... After your 30-day free trial, I think you're going to get $4.99 for the first six months so you can watch Bellator for 5 bucks a month plus everything else Showtime has to offer. If you want some merch like this cup, this, this, this glass, you can go to store.show.com. You can get this. You see the hat BC's got there. Uh, I think he's got the beanie there. Shirts, hats, beanies, mugs, tumblers, the whole nine yards. You can go and get stuff from there. By the way, we have a meeting about another round of this. Yes. This week, so for folks, for folks who live in like Nebraska or Canada or other places, you might be able to get some MK merch. Well, you know, once in a while we do remove the fourth wall and actually tell the truth on this show. We have a tentative meeting scheduled where not only will Luke and I approve and dis and deny uh, certain merch 2.0 designs, but Luke, I believe the structure is in place for international MK shipping. Am I right? 
Am I right? Uh, you are correct. Okay. That, that's that's basically correct. Um, I so. cannot wait to see what our weird, aggressive fan base from Australia to the Middle East, Luke, uh, from you know Danbury, Connecticut to Doha, what they can do with their hard-earned money to support us internationally. Because I can't tell you how many DMs I get that say, bro, I live in Wales, right? The land of Joe Calzaghe. I want to wear the green hoodie that Luke and BC's wife wear every day. I want to wear it. So it's their time, Luke, okay? It's their time coming up. It certainly is. Uh, so that is looks like it's <clears throat> coming around the corner. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for right now, BC. You ready to get this started? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. Uh, yes, Luke. Uh, yes. Yes. All right. So first yes. things first. Yes. Good. First things first. Let's yes. go to... Habib Nurmagomedov. So he did an interview um, with a, was it another fighter, Magomed Ismailov? I don't know how you pronounce this. Um, but he was asked about the kinds of things that you would ask about. Now, I don't know if we're going to put these quotes on the screen, but I'll read them just the same for folks who might be listening to the audio version of the show. Quote, when talking about whether he's coming back, never. Uh, there is no way that a man, uh, sorry, I'm talking about McGregor, sorry, never. There is no way that a man can be at the peak for two times, Habib said. I'm not talking just about McGregor. What I mean is, a man can't have two primes. A team could do it, for example. Real Madrid did this a few times in a row. Teams may have this, but we're talking about us and one man, and on his own, he cannot have this. He talk, goes on to talk about Ferguson, by the way. Well, I pause real I quick, Luke. Th those huh. comments were also about the idea when he was asked if he would ever come back post-retirement right so it's under the auspices right. of you're going away would you ever come back and he's saying no a man can't have no. two primes you know straight up all right so we got that there i want to read this out and then we'll get to all of this There's lots to unpack but let me just run through it talking about tony ferguson quote i swear i never considered him an elite lightweight he was very good but i never counted him so because it is impossible to be elite at 37 years old it's never been before, and I cannot do this. At 37 years in the lightweight division, no way. Heavyweights can. In my opinion, you cannot change it. Secondly, since 2016, he fought Kevin Lee, Barboza, Pettis, and Cerrone. These fighters have 20 losses for these four years. It means that since 2016, he didn't fight good fighters. But now he faced young and top fighters, Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje. They outclassed him. You saw this. Both fighters just dominated Tony, BC, let me get this last quote out and we'll go piece by piece here. Then he talks about St. Pierre. Quote, when you say George St. Pierre, that name really motivates me, Habib concluded. GSP really makes me excited and so on, but it's all over, brother. He's 40 years old. Let's just leave it. For sure, we like him as a human being. He is the legend. He is the decent representation of MMA. Let it be like this. There's GSP and Habib. Okay, a lot to get to there, Woo! BC. But the basic takeaway that I have from this is, dude, this fucking guy is not coming back. <laughs> he never was. He never freaking was. Okay? Luke, how friggin' shameless right now. Forget that early round. Because maybe in that early round of Dana saying we're going to meet, we're going to talk, there was still some real hopeful, hey, if Connor goes out there and knocks out Dustin at 257, you know, we could, I could just say, hey, Habib, what's your freaking number? And maybe we can do it. And maybe there was a little hope if GSP was willing to cut to 155 that, that, you know, Habib would say, okay, let's do it. That's my dream fight. 
None of that shit's happening anymore, okay? There's another quote he gave Luke in a, in a scrum with some Russian media the week before where they asked Tabib, would you ever fight at 170 now that GSP said he can't cut down to lightweight, it's too much of a risk at 40. And Habib said, no, I'm not going to fight above my best in prime weight. No, Luke, there is no drops of hope left in that jar. So the fact that Dana White right now, after Conor McGregor just lost at 257, would continue to delay this under the long shot hope. Okay, maybe not long shot, but under the hope that he can give the public a non-title Dustin versus Conor three this spring and under the hope that Conor could win that and then under the hope above on hope that he could then go to Habib and still try to convince him to come back to cash in that rematch check. What the frick are we doing? Strip the title from this guy. He's already retired. How many more times can he say publicly that Dustin Poirier should be the lightweight champion right now? Hey, Dana, what the frick are we doing? I'm about to make a four-minute video uh, calling you out for this, okay? All right? This has nothing to do with why am I bay, all right? I'm not here to call you an old bitch. I'm just here to say, stop it already. This legend's freaking done. Dude, this is the curse and the blessing to an extent of Dana White. This is a guy who just doesn't believe in the in the word no or the limits of possibility or any kind of way that might limit your growth or your ability to take advantage of an opportunity. And for many reasons, that has done him a lot of good, right? He has pushed through when everyone else was like, these obstacles are too great. And he took a sport into the mainstream. And we all know the many ways in which he has just forced his will uh, to make MMA and UFC as popular as it is. And I think that's definitely one of the good sides to what he does. But this is clearly where... Uh, this is there's a downside. He ran into this against Fedor. They wanted to do co-promotion. He wouldn't do it, and he assured the public if he wanted to get someone, he could do it. Well, you couldn't sign a deal with Fedor, and Scott Coker could, right? So just keep that in mind. Granted, he had to do things that Dana wasn't willing to do, but he did get the the, the deal done with Fedor Emelianenko. More to the point, you look at what happened early in COVID, right, where he's like, we're just going to go and make a show happen when no one really knows what's safe. There was no commission protocol. They were going to go around commissions. I know he said they weren't going to do that, but California was shut down. They were putting a show in California. Whatever the state commission was that they were planning to use, they never named. So to that point, then the Senate and basically the governor and Disney have to step in and stop him. Here he is a case where he is telling the public, and maybe he believes truly in his heart of hearts, maybe he believes, BC, that he can turn this ship around. But dude, if he is, if this is the best he can do around Khabib and this issue, he ain't doing very well. These messages are unequivocal. And this is not the only interview he's given, dude. Every time he's asked about this since beating Justin Gaethje, it's the same thing over and over. The only time it deviates, as you well know, is when Dana's like, well, I talked to Habib, and he gave me this and he gave me that. Well, whenever Habib gives his own words, they don't sound anything nearly no. like this. This fucking guy is not coming back. <laughs> there's no doubt in these quotes time after time. So here's the deal, Luke. There's been a very liberal 
decision-making process in modern-day UFC as to who gets stripped of belts when and why. Like, look, nobody really cares historically, but Nico Montano got a raw deal in getting stripped. Uh, Jermaine Duran, to me, to a lesser degree, kind of got a raw deal. I know she said she, she didn't want to fight no, she Cyborg, did not but, get a raw deal, but to all right, point, Well, still, straight up, they're like, you're stripped tomorrow, right? I mean, we've seen DC, Connor get stripped when Dana just decided, you can't hold two titles anymore. We need to open that one back up. And now we're just going to completely, completely hijack this d- d- division, keep a title on a guy who's telling you I'm not coming back. What the hell do you think about your status and value in the company if you're Dustin Poirier, a guy who is as lunch pail and as model of a citizen in representation in 2021 of what a fighter can be, could be, and should be, and as a philanthropist, what a human being as a fighter could be? You just went out there. And save for the loss to Habib, which was straight up and fair, you're on this kind of historic run where you're beating top-ranked guy after top-ranked guy in a historically deep division, and you just beat the company's ultimate golden child in a rematch of your maybe your worst loss as a pro. And instead of crowning you, we're talking about an unofficial tournament that is so see-through in its intentions to try to get Conor McGregor another win so we can put Conor in there against Habib and cash the UFC's biggest lottery ticket in history. What the hell do you tell yourself at night if you're Dustin Poirier about your value in this company? I'm not giving this rant to try to stir up shit. This is straight up shocking, Luke, okay? Maybe doing it around 257, kind of fooling the public, hope against hope. Maybe I could talk Habib into it. Okay, I get it. That's why Dana's relentless. That's why he's a champion in so many ways when it comes to business and success. Dana, you kept my job afloat during 2020. Thank you. How many more times can I say that and yet still end up as the centerpiece of a four-minute <laughs> video calling out the media? Notwithstanding, what the hell are we doing right now? All right, Luke, that rant over with for a second. And I don't know, seriously, if you're Dustin Poirier again, how you can swallow this and just be like, yeah, the company loves me. Nah, bro. Nah, nah they don't. Um, he just sent... Uh, Tony Ferguson to the woodshed in ways we don't typically see Habib to do. What do you think about these comments? I get the comments from like at 37, you can no longer be elite, but he's basically like, look at everybody. He fought since 2016. They have 20 losses combined. He hasn't beaten an elite fighter in five years. You know, he never would have had a chance against me. That's interesting. Luke. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there some merit to it? I mean, yes and no. Partly, it's like, what does he mean by elite? Does he mean top three? Does he mean top five? Is that sort of what he's saying? Like, I would need him to clarify that just a little bit because we, when he says elite and when we say elite, we might mean two different things. So there's a bit of, I think, a confusion there. Also, I think there is some ways to look at his resume and, and as good as it is, and I want to talk about that in just a second, to maybe to Habib's point to say, um, yes, there are some things he did really well, but it's if you really pay attention to the finer details, it comes up short um, along the way. Fine, there, there's probably there's probably something to be said for that. But dude, the win streak the guy went on for as many years as he went on. Uh, you know, Matt Brown made a point to me one time before he fought Wonder Boy. This was in Atlanta. This is the first time I ever covered a fight at the time in person for MMA fighting. And uh, Matt Brown had a great point to me. He was like, look, man, I don't know what to make of his undefeated kickboxing career, 59-0, whatever it was. He's like, do I think all 59 guys were that good? Probably not. But he's like, do you mean to tell me that 59 times, you know, uh, Stephen Thompson showed up and felt great? 
and had a good night of sleep and wasn't sick and wasn't dealing with injuries or some other kind of issue. No, this guy had many times probably where he didn't feel great and didn't want to fight and wasn't motivated or was injured and he still got the job done every single time. Dude, he was doing that, Tony Ferguson was, for years at a bare minimum, bare minimum BC, against very good lightweights. And he did it most of the time by fucking him up. It wasn't a lot of time where it went to decision. You were like, you know, he may have eked it out. If it went to a decision, he usually pummeled the guy or he stopped him outright. And more to that point, this is sort of what undercuts his argument a little bit. Maybe by the time that Habib had fought, or if you would have fought him in that May card uh, or April card in New York, if, if there was been no COVID, maybe Habib would have thrashed him by that point. And maybe it is true that at age 37, nearly 38, it's too late for Tony to do his best work. Okay, that might be true. But at the time in which he was doing it, if he was already kind of old, 35, 36, and he was beating the guys that he was, that's even more impressive to me. So I do think Tony's elite. I don't think he would have beaten Habib. I don't think there's a lightweight on earth who can beat Habib. Um, and I do think there might be something to what Habib is saying, but I'd be curious to get your sense of, of what he said about Tony. Yeah, it's just weird because while Habib's always brutally honest, he doesn't typically try to take shots at guys unless it's like a Connor situation where we're already in the midst of a war. This was interesting for him basically to say these law, you know, these these fights against Kevin Lee, Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone, they don't really count as great wins because of the losses those guys have. And once Tony finally got back to fighting young prime guys, meaning Oliveira and Gaethje, look what happened. I mean, I don't know. You, I, I stick to the point, Habib, of saying. It's really, really hard, if not impossible, as a lightweight. Not a heavyweight, which he said. Heavyweights, you can reinvent yourself. You can stay great late. It's really hard as a lightweight, sure, to be truly elite at 37. So I'll stand by that, Luke. I think some of the other stuff, a little bit of a stretch. Maybe it's lost in translation. I'm not really sure. But uh, interesting that he thinks this whole time he would have dominated Tony. And what's also interesting, Luke, is you know the last couple of years, I, I was one of those guys saying, if anyone does have a chance to beat this unbeatable machine that is Habib Nurmagomedov, it's probably Tony Ferguson. And that was due to the awkward and voluminous striking style, the willingness to endure pain and put himself close to peril in order to try to get a win, the combination of the good ground game. Uh, I do wonder, Luke, you know, uh, out of the you know 15 times they were scheduled to fight, which, you know, would, would Habib have dominated all those times? I mean, it's one of those things we will never know. But... Habib walking away now and being this strong on those comments of I'd never come back because I couldn't be as great as I am now and I would never move up and wait because I couldn't be as great as I am now. Luke, it does take a special and rare athlete, whether we're talking Jim Brown, Rocky Marciano, whoever, to walk away at the when you Barry Sanders to walk away when you still have, uh, you know, the the jug full or or, or near full or 75% full of who you can be as an athlete that is so rare that takes conviction and you know what it does historically it adds dude it straight up adds to you you know what I'm saying I always make mm. that joking Kurt Cobain argument that I love those three Nirvana albums or those four or whatever but would we be talking about his you know Beatlesque songwriting and his game changing ways if he hadn't died when he died would he have put out a, a, a run of really shitty albums and had some co-albums with Courtney Love that would have been uh, John and Yoko-esque and we would have hated him. Maybe, Luke. We'll never know, though. Uh, Habib will legacy, if he never fights again, is going to stay so close to being the damn GOAT, if not eventually being considered the GOAT. 
talk about control. He's controlled nearly every second of every fight, and he's controlling the way he's remembered. I mean, look, this is a special athlete and a special career, but let me just read for you one more time these GSP quotes in case you didn't get the message. Uh, he's 40 years old. It's all over, brother. Let's just leave it. Habib ain't coming back. So, Luke, let me put it on you. How does this end? When does Dana finally take the knee? What's the future bring? Are we going to go into Dustin Connor three this year with that, with Habib still the champion and you know, who's going to be crowned the next lightweight champion? How, how does this shit end? I will say one thing just to end on Tony very quickly. If I can, he became something of a media darling and he wasn't at first. It took a long time for him to become that probably because he had an exciting style and um, you know, his fights were, action-packed and it also what sort of happened with Tony was that you kind of felt like he'd been done wrong that there was things that like either through injury or promotional lack of favoritism he should have been further along given his abilities or given what he had done than he was and so he kind of became a cause celeb for the media and then by the time that he was you know given opportunities to advance um in this last stage obviously didn't go so well so you know, you could maybe say there was a bit of uh, overhype with media, but it was also just a very weird circumstances of Tony's career that helped create that. As it relates to St. Pierre, um, <laughs> I don't know what you want, man. I don't know what everyone wants out there. I don't know what Dana wants, which is the essence of your question. At some point, he is going to have to say uncle to the situation, take the belt, and then figure out what to do. Here's the problem that I feel like Dana is in, which is that he is so pot committed to the idea of rescuing victory from the jaws of defeat here, that he's going to go to the very last moment, well past the time that he should have to see if he can rescue this operation. And then once that inevitably fails, you are so far down the line that getting back to something is going to feel weird and long overdue. And there might be like, dude, here's the thing to think about. Would UFC stage another fight between Connor and Dustin? Yes. In let's say May or June or something. Yes. And Luke, not yes. put a and not put a title on the line because they're still waiting for Habib. I find that unlikely, BC, but not impossible. Uh, this is it's <laughs> it's freaking crazy, Luke. Look, if uh, here's one thing I will hold against Dana for the rest of my life. Okay, I don't hold grudges. Who cares? That four minute video was hilarious. Um, if Dustin Poirier retires having only been an interim champion and somehow either loses his next fight or doesn't get to hold the full championship. I will, I will hold that against Dana for the rest of my life. I mean, you're screwing with a man's livelihood and career here. I, I don't know, Luke. All I know is from a business standpoint and the history we know of what you said, Dana White not saying uncle, right? Him and the Fertitas went until they had very little left in the bank before Bonner and, and Griffin rescued them. And they turned that corner financially. Um, what what I'm what the hell am I trying to say? Oh, I know what I'm trying to say here, uh, Luke. This, this um, is a good soliloquy by you. Yeah, this is great. I think I just I think I just had a had an in show lobotomy there, Luke. I mean, where do I go next? Should I start foaming at the mouth? Uh, I was going to say, Luke, that you know this is this is an extreme level, and what it shows me is that. Dana hasn't used his trump card yet, and I'm not talking about Donald. What I'm talking about is there is some offer that he has in the back of his mind that he thinks will be the thing that makes uh, Habib give in. Uh, you know, you can guess and say, well, it's Connor and a chance to break the record. But I think, Luke, and I said it before on the show and you laughed at me, I do think there is a price for the million-dollar man and there is some dollar value that Dana would be willing to go to if he has to, 
and I think he's going to wait and see if Connor beats Dustin and then try to present that number to Habib and say, you are a man of conviction, but are you a $50 million man of conviction? Yeah, dude, they don't, they don't overpay. UFC can be accused of many things, overpaying. They might have paid for like, overpaid for like Hector Lombard. I know that when he came over, someone told me that, you know, again, this is what someone in the know. You can stop that, please. Thank you. That's incredibly annoying. Um, BC, will you stop, please? Thank you. Uh, Hector Lombard, I know, was making like 500K a fight almost, but he came over from Bellator. I don't think he quite got, uh, the UFC quite got out of him what they were looking for. But, dude, this idea that, like, oh, they're going to go to the bank and really make it happen. Dude, when have they ever done that? Like, when have they ever, you know, just totally paid Deontay Wilder money for a fight? But Okay, but that, the, that's the, an easy in, thing in, to in say, In all Luke. the court filings, in all the court filings in those years, the seven years or whatever it is, there's not one instance of them overpaying. And okay, that's well, let me counter time. that. Can I counter that to you? Please. When have they ever been presented with the potential of booking a fight that could do three million pay-per-view buys? Okay, but two 1.5s they've never done. I mean, to your point, yes, this fight is unique. But I'm just saying, as a rule, they don't, they don't do this. They don't go out and let the fighter get some kind of incredible... Dude, if, if, if he got paid an actual $15 million and word got around, that's going to now be the benchmark every time for everyone else who is no. a big-time... Let, let me get this right. A big-time million-plus pay-per-view headliner they're gonna say i i want that money okay first of all there's very little fights in ufc history to your point that have ever done a million plus we're talking about a rematch that has the potential to do three million because it's already shattered the record and also the, hold the, on the first after connor, connor after connor lost to dustin last time i'm not so sure three mil is the ceiling closer to two mil might be i think the actual which is still huge well look still, three i think is very much out of all range. right don't deceive yourself if connor knocks out dustin in a trilogy fight that changes the financials again luke so don't Fine. deceive yourself on that but the, to, to your point of other fighters saying i want habib money it will be very easy for dana to say okay go 30 and oh bro okay seriously yeah you but then they could say okay i didn't go 30 you know i went 28 and 2 i don't want habib money i don't want 15 i want 10 do 10 is still well above and that's, you know, why I'm talking about a one-third off, you know, uh, that's still well above what they would normally pay. The, 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 the court documents show that the Diaz fights that were paid for by UFC, Connor got after the fact, folks don't seem to realize this, $7.5 million. Seven and a, he got $15 million for two fights, okay, for two fights. And that's Connor in 2016 when he was red fucking hot. Uh, I don't know what people think. If you just begin to raise the prices, people are going to take notice of that. They don't want to do that if they can avoid it. All right, well, then why did why did Connor, in an interview with Ariel after the Cowboy fight, allude to the idea that his goal was to make start to finish after all the receipts and bonuses are counted and all the backroom, Dana, here's your, your cheese, uh, he, would, he had hoped to make 100, and he inferred to Ariel that he cleared around 80 million instead. I, I think you're off, Luke. I think you're not understanding at the 1% <laughs> level for UFC draws, the 1% level, that there are... That there is millions they're getting that we never know about. Okay, so that's okay. one no, thing. No, 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 there, no, there isn't. No, there isn't. BC, have you reviewed the documents that the, that Zufa, under penalty of law, re- turned in? And by the way, not just penalty of law, they have an incentive to show as much as possible. And the reason why is because the more you show, the more it undercuts the argument that you are underpaying. It actually would serve you in the lawsuit 
to show more. Have you reviewed even one year of those documents? I've reviewed all of them. Okay, if dude, you want to make an the, argument it, that dude, 2016 Connor made less than we thought. There is clear instruction. There is clear instruction in those documents that they are going to keep pay at 20% a year. I don't give a fuck what one fighter tells any member of the media. It means zero to me. What Does matters argument is change evidence. Because that media member is Canadian? What matters is evidence, and there is absolutely no evidence, public or otherwise, that says that they would pay something like that. Now, maybe if he cleared 15 mil and he can keep going long enough, maybe he could get 80 mil. But that is what he got in 2016. Two fights, $7.5 million each total. There is no secret bonus. It does not exist. I don't know. I don't know, Luke. I don't know. But let me just close with this. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Hold on. Stop, stop. What, when you say you don't know, what do you mean? Do you mean to say that Zufa lied to courts? Is that what you mean to say? Well, look, I'm I'm willing to say that both the Habib fight and the Connor the Cowboy no, no, fight. No, no. Answer the, first the question, ones. dude. When they turned those documents in, did they turn in every red cent that they were aware of? Yes or no? Uh, I'm saying that it's very possible that they didn't mar they didn't put down even even though your argument says it would benefit them. I don't it's think they put argument. down it's every the bonus. It's the truth, bro. BC. You see, why would Zufa, who is being is that sued crazy to in believe a way that where they if would they lose, if they lose, if they lose, it will fundamentally change their business to the point where it would be unrecognizable. Okay, massive implications. Why on earth, if you are being sued for not paying enough, would you hide millions of dollars in sum to prove that you don't actually underpay? Because this was a one percent situation with whoever the 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 Lesnar Rousey McGregor level draw of the of the moment is that there you know there's a certain look all I'm saying is I is did he make it, did he clear eighty million for the Cowboy fight I don't know but I'm telling you he made more than seven and a half million when all said and done Luke okay that's what I'm saying there so I got to ask you is Dana on, I know you want to keep you want to keep arguing this, Luke. I don't know. Okay, I don't. I don't. Know I, don't I just. I, 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 I don't. I, think, I, just, I don't. I don't want to keep arguing. I just want to. I don't understand this argument that when you present evidence to people and you show them what the truth is, they still go, "Oh no, there must be secret money." It, it, it's 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 not real. Now, did he make more to fight Habib because it sold a lot more? Yeah, maybe he made 10, 12, 15 million for 20 million even for something like that. Although I, even that I find kind of crazy. But yes, maybe maybe uh, it escalated up. But dude, 20%, 20% okay, is I don't what have they evidence. pay. It's what they're always going to pay. I don't have evidence that there was more than one shooter in the JFK assassination, Luke, but... Uh... Got, got a pretty good belief system that there was. Okay, Luke. All right, that there was. You know what I'm saying? So great. You know, you can tell your your court presented facts to go fuck themselves. Thank you, and your William and Mary education, Luke. Let me just close by saying this. Um, do you think it's more likely that Dana is underestimating the conviction of Habib and kind of making him look bad in doing that, or? that he does have this trump card and we've speculated in the past is it a combination is it just money or is it money with i'll help your promotion that you are now the head of and i'll help your fighters down the road i mean is there is there something that he hasn't get do you do you subscribe to that theory which one is it i, I do this think i do think that they're I mean, he's got that new promotion i'm sure he would like that promotion to be a feeder league to ufc i'm sure that they have offered to pay as much as you know they're willing to given the the larger factors here um, listen, I'm sure that he is trying to do everything he can reasonably think of. And, you know, is he is he insulting Habib by keeping going? I mean, I guess on some level, if you really want to argue that, you could. But he's a promoter. 
He's a promoter. He's he, and he's a good promoter. He's a very successful promoter. He's going to do this kind of thing. It's just inevitable. It's really up to Habib, and so far he has done it um, to say no. And it's up to a, a par- impartial-ish or you know disconnected observers to to say what the facts are of the situation as best they can ascertain. So I don't I don't consider it some like insulting. Um, you know, oh, he's going after his identity by not, uh, you know, acknowledging his principles. He, the guy is trying to put on a, a historically important fight, but at some point, even that guy has to recognize that this is just a hill that can't be climbed. And back to your point on the seven and a half million per Connor fight in 2016, uh, both the Mayweather fight and the Habib fight changed that pay structure and flipped it upside down, Luke. Okay. Okay. Well, 20% guy. Just remember that. All right. With that in mind, um, let's talk about the next topic here, which is not as sexy as Habib and GSP and blah, 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 but it is actually kind of sneakily important. So PFL put out, um, some of their, uh, announced fights for their 23rd, April 23rd return BC. I'll go through them in a second, but the main event for their lightweight tourney is interesting. It's Anthony Pettis taking on Clay Collard. Now for folks who may not know, Clay Collard used to be a featherweight, he actually lost, I think, to Max Holloway. Or yes. uh, he, had a, he had an okay, very mediocre run in UFC. He was a decent fighter, but just couldn't really get over the hump. And the last year, BC, correct me if I'm wrong, because I saw a couple of the fights, has been fighting like six rounders on ESPN in boxing and winning against several top prospects along the way. Is that true or false? He won, He had a five-fight winning streak in 2020 alone. He was the star of Top Rank's MGM bubble there in Las Vegas. Yes, he started to beat guys who were 8-0, 10-0, who looked like they had bright futures, and just on straight aggression and guile, he was you know stopping them or winning split decisions. It finally came to a head in December when he stepped up to another level, and he lost a decision to a man named Quincy Lavalace. I don't know a ton about him or the other guys he fought, but I'll tell you this, Luke. Um, He's only 27, Clay Collard. And this is very interesting matchmaking. I mean, it's been a long time. He hasn't fought in the USC since 2015. To your point, he went 1-3. Uh, His only win against Alex White. And then he lost to Holloway, Gabe Benitez, and Tiago Trader. Uh, but, uh, I mean, is this a setup to give Anthony Pettis a, name, a name-ish opponent that he can figure out a way to do some spinny showtime shit again is this what it is because either way i this is sneaky matchmaking i couldn't tell you offhand how good clay collard is as a a mixed martial artist though well a couple of things about clay collard that you got to note right Uh, this this photos we're showing here this was the uh, this was the brooklyn israeli kid am i getting that right i forget his name is that right uh no not this guy with the tattoos he's a little bit different but the one they were showing before with the shaved head he was considered to be like a very top prospect Collard David, has been beating the people he was yeah. not supposed to beat on this run, which sort that of makes David what happens. David Kaminsky, in, the Israeli. David, David Kaminsky. Kaminsky. Yeah, it was a split. Yeah, decision David Kaminsky, who's a top prospect and still is. Like he performed pretty well in the end there, but um, Collard just had the better night. So here's my point: he's been beating the guys he's not supposed to beat. He's tough as hell. He's got decent hands. I mean, you know, he's never going to be a high level professional boxer, but. He's okay. He can hold his own. And Pettis has a lot of miles on him, plus fades later in fights, BC. So to me, do I favor Pettis to win? Yes. But that dude, there's a lot of tread on those tires. And while he is the flashier, the more skilled, maybe the better athlete too in every way, we have seen over the course of a fight, especially if it's five rounds, I don't know that it is, but let's say that it is, 
that fav that that the fact that it goes five rounds is in I should say it doesn't favor Clay Collard, but that particular aspect, uh, not overall per se, flavors Clay Collard. That's a that's an interesting fight. That's a very interesting fight. By the way, also on that card, uh, Nathan Schulte, taking who's a previous champion for them, taking on Marcin Held, previously of UFC and Bellator fame, Movlid Habalayev taking on Jason Soares, and then the guy who has made more money in, basically anonymously in MMA than anyone else, Lance Palmer, is taking on Bubba Jenkins. Uh, your thoughts on the card? Yeah, look, that f- in the main card that you mentioned is on ESPN2, and even on the prelims, you're getting Johnny Case, you're getting uh, Obin Mercier, you're getting some some interesting names. Or look, I'll, uh, we gave PFL credit when this uh, when this lot of names for their tournament was announced. That it's a it's a really intriguing mix of names we know, names we kind of have heard of, and you know, and some legit guys. So uh, I think this is really cool matchmaking with Pettis and, and Collard. And Collard had won over a lot of people's hearts with this blue collar mentality, this upset mindedness, the fact that he can switch between both sports. Uh, just to, to catch you up on his MMA career, I just checked it up after he got cut from the UFC. Luke, he took three years off of MMA, but he's come back. He's won four of five sense although in um in like lower regional organizations but uh this is a big spot for him to try to uh to try to you know carve out another huge upset and make make a name for himself and i think even if he gets demolished it's it's a good name uh to give you a reason to check out showtime pettis's uh continuation of his career so luke i've you know, I've been negative at one or PFL at times. Look, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of pro PFL right now. So thank you guys. All right, you can you can yeah. chill out on the uh, on the PR aggressiveness in trying to get me to interview these guys. But uh, let me come around at my own speed. All right. Uh, and also on that card, we didn't mention it, but it deserved to be mentioned. The guy who won on Contender Series and Dana White wouldn't sign because he went for a takedown last minute. Brendan, I think it's Lochnan. Taking yes. on uh, UFC vet Shaman Morais. So that should be fun as well. Decent card, April 23rd. Prelims on ESPN. Main card on ESPN2. Uh, BC, TJ Dillashaw recently did an interview with Mike Swick of Tough One fame. Real quick with Mike Swick on the podcast. And Dillashaw spoke about returning from his long layoff, which is now over, by the way. He's officially, to my knowledge, eligible to compete again. I think that ended in January. And uh, what he said, uh, talking about the 259 upcoming clash, there's three title fights on that card, one of which, of course, is Peter Yan taking on Aljamain Sterling. He suggested potentially facing the winner. Now, there's an argument to be made about part of the reason why, um, you know, they they wanted to make uh, the Cejudo fight at 35 and, um, well, more so at 25. But the point being is there's an argument to be made that what the UFC might be looking for a little bit at 135 is introducing any known celebrity factor that is possible. TJ Dillashaw does, whether you like him or dislike him, whether you thought the punishment was fair long enough or not, wherever you stand, it I, I believe has more known star power in that division um, than a lot of other deserving contenders. What do you do with him in terms of this? Do you agree to his, dem- not demand, but his you know, suggestion or something else? It's a very interesting debate that almost touches on morality to a certain degree. Look, uh, Jose Aldo got the first shot at uh, at uh, Peyote. Are we going with Peyote? Peyote? Pewter. Dude, I'm saying, Pewter, listen, yeah. listen, I don't know how it's pronounced. I'm going to go Peter until I'm not supposed to anymore. I think John Annick goes Pewter. So, the, it, look... Jose Aldo coming off two losses got the first title defense against Piotr Jan and Dominic Cruz coming off of you know layoffs got a recent title opportunity there too so this tells you that it's very likely Dillashaw would and to your point on whoever wins Sterling 
Yeah, uh, against Jan. We kind of should believe that Sanhagen would be next. But is it better for business to make whoever wins that fight a star by, to what you said, feeding him a very, very well-known B-side to potentially beat? Yeah, that's just good business. My question is, Luke, even with your stance on USADA and, and you know, PEDs in the sport and all that, and even with the things we've seen in the past, like moving a card for John Jones on just a couple days' notice to another city and state over Christmas break because he popped dirty for another drug test, should morally this be okay? I mean, shouldn't Dillashaw have some kind of penalty? Be I mean, okay, he sat out two years of his remaining left prime, and he's 35 right now. Is that enough of a penalty? You can debate that what you want. But to reward him with a title fight, Luke? I mean, you know, I could just as easily make the argument that he might be the greatest bantamweight we've ever seen. But I don't know if I feel great about that at the end of the day. I mean, listen, I, I think that uh, – I, I do think Dana White is instructive here. I forget who he was saying about it before. Um, it was some athlete who had spent a very minor amount of time in prison, six months, a year, or something like that. And they were now looking to, you know, restart their life and – should they be able to? And Dana White once made a point. Again, I, I need to remember who it was. But he had said, look, the guy w went to trial, uh, was found guilty, went to prison, did every day that they told him to do, and now he's out. The penalty that he had to serve for the wrongdoing is over. He did it. We told him what it was, and he did it. Now is his chance to no longer be penalized for that. And to your point, BC, um, I do think that that if you if you want to do just good business, putting Dillashaw in there is good business, and we all know how that can be a a a, a driving factor in decision making. Still, here's what I would say against it: not that we need to repenalize T.J. Dillashaw, but if the offense you were ha you had was that you were deriving some performance enhancement, he swears it was for one fight, but let's see what the reality of that is. And BC, and I think this is the critical difference, and the division has changed dramatically in your absence. I would not say that giving him a title shot would be the worst thing I've ever seen, but I don't think it's the best call. The best call is, let's see where you are, because he did lose at 125 BC. He did not lose at 135. Nobody snatched that from his waist at that weight class. I think that needs to be remembered. So the way I feel like it should go is, you give him a top contender, you want a five-round main event right into the fire. And, dude, you know as well as I do, you fight anyone in that top five, you're going to have a very difficult night ahead of you, even if you win. And that will tell us where we have to go after that. I would have been even happy if they had given him Dominic Cruz because that's a, a very sexy main event or even co-main on a giant pay-per-view. And there's a storyline, there's history, rematch, you know, questionable decision the first time. But I get from a promotional standpoint, even the UFC doesn't know what they're going to get with a 35-year-old Bantamweight, right, who's been off two years. Uh, to Habib's point, Luke, it's even harder to be a super elite, uh, you know, to be in the small weight classes where speed and explosiveness are so, uh, so in need at that moment if TJ's not going to be the same fighter. From a promotional standpoint, you'd want to find that out in a title fight where he could potentially get stopped by the guy you're trying to build up, whether that's Jan or Sterling coming off that fight. So it's not lost on me at all. That mixed with your comments about, look, he sat out two years. What other prices he have to pay? Well, you know, Dana also said uh, Connor shouldn't have been penalized for injuring coworkers because 
Do you know how expensive those legal fees were? It cost that guy millions. You know, okay, great. That's great. That's great. Uh, being <laughs> great job there, boss. Uh, I I don't know, Luke. Um, he's. I'm just saying, like, it. at some point, at some point, two years was a long time, right? You can agree that to your. I mean, listen, 33 champion. Oh, okay, you got some good fights in front of you. 35. You know, that's a long two years that he lost there. Uh, yeah. We'll have to see what his level is. To me, that's a pretty long punishment. I do think it'd be just a weird move to jump him right to the front of the line. But the well, fight we will. talked about on the show before, sorry. They will, because even though the hardcore fans like us believe Sanhagen should get the winner of that fight, it's it's seemingly better business when you have all these old brands around to keep, you know, doing it this way. Well, how I mean, the the fight that got suggested previously, which we haven't at least I think I endorsed, I think you endorsed it as well. Clarify for me. I thought it's a, I thought it was the right fight for every reason. TJ Dillashaw Versus Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo coming off of that win. Yes. Frankie Edgar yes. now out of the top five. Man, you got to love that fight. Because if you can beat Aldo, you are definitely a title contender in that division. And if you can't, you still might be very good. But you're not ready for that prime time yet. I And two big, two big-ish kind of names. Luke, you, you may remember that you know we all have... Uh, Hills were willing to die on future champion Kevin Lee is one of those that I am. I, I had been a big, hey, Woodley S champion is underrated guy. I had been a big TJ Dillashaw is we're watching some level of greatness here that no one's giving him credit for. And I used to say, hey, look, that loss to Asuncio, I, I thought he won. That loss to Dominic Cruz, yeah, I thought he won. And he had to take two years and go through, you know, all-killer run of coming through Asuncio a second time, beating Lineker to finally get back there. But now he's had the drug issue in which he's, you know, there's no defense here. There's no picograms, you know. He took the he took the L, Luke. Should that change how we remember him? Is it is it? I, I know you're the wrong guy to ask because of your stance, but is it okay for me to still look at his run and go, it's the best man in weight I've ever seen. He's the best. I mean, is that okay? <laughs> why, why, why am I the wrong guy to ask rather than, hey, here's an alternate perspective on things that is evidence-based? <laughs> Uh, yes, I don't go with the consensus. I I um I don't know what the truth is of his use. I don't know how much of a benefit he got, and I don't know how long he used, which is why this next chapter, even though it's two years later, still carries a degree of importance. But my my rule remains the same, uh, basically, that you, the, the glory dates of MMA were built on this stuff. Many of your favorite fighters either have used at some point or are currently using now. Use is much more widespread. So trying to separate Dillashaw from some of the peers who are drug tested, but ne never people are like, Oh, if you get tested, you don't pop your clean. It's not what that means. It means you have a good, you have a drug testing program. You don't know if you have a cleanliness program. That's, that's actually quite different. Um, so to that end, I don't, uh, I don't look at his bantamweight run as any different than I would ordinarily. Uh, and I think it's pretty spectacular to this point, but that other part, the division has moved on. It feels like, and rapidly changed. I think that is incontestable. Corey Sanhagen was in the back of the pack two years ago. Well, now he's at the front of it, and he's brought some young guys along with him. That's a hell of a division now that it wasn't that in that shape when he left two years ago. Luke, will we see TJ uh, fight Dominic in a rematch, as I mentioned? Cody Garbrandt. You're, you're high on that fight. I mean, I thought I thought TJ won the – well, I thought it was close enough to say TJ won the first time. Why do you want to see won. that fight again? I'm just saying it's good matchmaking between names that we would care about. And do you also think we would see him against Mr. Faber? There's some storyline there, right? Yes. I didn't uh, 
Didn't Ariel report that they were considering that for the return? I, I think that would have been a great comeback fight just the same. I understand why you wouldn't do Garbrandt right away. You could do that fight a little bit further down the road, but yes. any of those fights have great storyline in them, so that's interesting. Hey, look, there are two giant pieces of breaking news which just slid in in the past 10 minutes. Do you want to address these or no? Go, hit it. What you got? Okay, according to uh, really one of the best journalists in all of MMA, if not the best looking per Joanna, Brett Okamoto of ESPN saying UFC flyweight champion Valentina Shevchenko, Luke, will be back at UFC 261 against Jessica Andrade. Yeah, Bill, Luke, inject that shit right here, right, bro? Say it. Wait, wait. Shevchenko 261. Who's it against? Jessica Andrade, former strawweight champion. Oh, sick. Super sick. That's I mean, that's be the best great. fight you can make a flyweight. Dude, that's the best flyweight fight you can make. That's great. Yeah, love it. Love that contest. Okay. And what's the other big piece? You said there was two. Yeah, big uh, big, big news out of pro wrestling. Uh, Paul White, a.k.a. The Big Show, leaves WWE to sign with AEW. How about Tony Khan and company? Luke, you moved by that? I don't even know what that is. The Big Show? You know, like the, the the big the big tall fat guy, yeah. All right, okay. Uh, all right, topic number four. Speaking of women's MMA, you love this fight, and you love the bigger story behind it. BC wanted to put this topic in today. I could take it or leave it, but um, he really likes it, so I want to throw this to him as quickly as I can. Holly Holm is going to fight Juliana Pena. This is booked for May 8th. This will be a bantamweight contest. BC, why do you like the fight so much, and more to the point, Tell me, tell the, the viewers, rather, the point you made about what it would do to Holly Holmes' career to get this win and how it would shape it relative to another legend that we know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, Holly Holm, uh, I thought it was done, Luke. I thought it, when she lost to Amanda Nunes at UFC 239 and got kicked in the face and it was uh, in the first round, you know, and remember that fight narrative-wise, we're all right in the same columns. You know, if Holm beats the, the GOAT here, what do we do with Holm historically? You know, could she be the greatest combat uh, female of all time giving her boxing history? Well, it didn't happen, Luke. So that looked like the end. And I think at that point, I think her record in the UFC at that point was like five and five. And it was just sort of like, you know, what is she? Is she a one night wonder having beat Ronda Rousey and, you know, one of the biggest upsets and most spectacular performances and then having lost every other time she fought for a title. But here's where you got to give Holly Holm just a ton of credit. Look, she's not getting worse. And she went back to the drawing board. And look, I didn't love the victory over Raquel Pennington that followed. It was boring and safe. But when she went out there in that five-round win last October against uh, Irene Aldana, or Irene, or how, how are we pronouncing that, Luke? Uh, Irene. Irene. Whatever. I, yeah, whatever. Oh, good night, Irene. Uh, Luke, I, she's <laughs> showing you that at age 39, she has a unique resume. That's heavy on name value. I mean, has one person ever, you know, squeezed all the juice out of the Rousey win like Holm? No. But at the same time, look, she she refuses to fall out of the rankings at both 135 and 145. And in a division right now at Bantamweight where there's just no storylines, the, the cupboard's empty, right? Aspen Ladd's good, but she's coming off injury. Juliana Pena's fresh off uh, a big win that she needed against Sarah McMahon to kind of remind us that she's still around and still young. And now Holly Holm goes in there again, looking for a third fight in a row. And she did a, a pretty good interview with Mike Bone. You know that guy? Uh, Boner's still yes. on there. From, Boner. Uh, Old Boner. Love that guy. Great guy. Great guy, right? Um, in which she says, look, 
I'm coming back for another shot in Amanda Nunes. And look, when you hear that at first, you're like, ah, oh, great. Okay. But look, there's nobody else. One, because the division's empty, but two, because she refuses to go away. And I say that positively. She's 39 freaking years old. And she's probably going to be favored to beat Pena. And look, if she wins, she's almost, uh, she's kind of having a Randy Couture type career. And I say that in a great way because, you know, Couture, I I never saw his bloodstream, Luke. I don't know where where he was at age 47. But I will say this, for him to constantly reinvent himself and switch divisions and then go up and beat Tim Sylvia and be Captain America and do all this stuff. I mean, he had such a special and unique career. Do you know what we haven't seen yet in the women's game? Somebody be really, really good and relevant at this age. Holly Holm's not going away. She's at worst, what, the third best bantamweight in the world and maybe the second best or third best featherweight. Um, She's probably going to get herself into another title fight. And Luke, uh, am I ever going to love her chances against Amanda again? You know, it's hard to say that I would, especially after getting kicked in the face the first time around. But if she works her way back into another title shot and who knows what could happen there, I mean, she could have a, a complete... Captain America type run here. And I don't think we give her enough credit because after beating Rousey, you know, she had lost all those consecutive title fights to Misha Tate, which was a thriller, you know, and the bad GDR loss and blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm really kind of interested to see because she's found a way to become more efficient, to round out her game. She showed against Megan Anderson, a very top contender a few years back, who's, you know, going to get the next title shot at Nunes that she can dominate on the ground and do what she has to do. Luke, I don't think we tip the cap enough in her direction. And I'm wondering mm. if she has a chance, whether it's going through Amanda and pulling an upset or maybe Nunez giving up one of the belts one day of winning UFC gold again. Like, I don't see an end date for her age where she's still not going to be one of the elite in this game. So this is a very integral fight that she would have to win to get there. Maybe you look at that and say, I don't care. This is a retread. The divisions are empty. But uh, I got a lot of respect for what Holmes still doing, the hunger that she still has, the way she prepares, Luke. I said nothing about the sneaky IG account. I'm just talking just about the game. I got a lot of respect, Luke. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison. It's hard for me to... I, I know what you're doing. It's not a... Again, it, no, no comparison is totalizing. Like, Randy Couture was beloved in ways that I think Holly Holm was popular, but not as... Um, She's not quite like the fond, you know, uh, representative that we have out there in the ways that Couture kind of was. Um, he was much more noted for his age. Now, granted, he was fighting well into his 40s. That's not quite what we have here. But still, to your point, at the age she's doing it, it's just quite as remarkable. Um, but I do feel like I do feel like uh, it misses a little bit in the following sense. And maybe, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, see or if you think I'm off. Careers Couture was up and down. Like he had his final record was nineteen and eleven, but that's maybe the best nineteen and eleven record I've ever seen, which is to say he had big losses. Like the second fight with Chuck Liddell was a big loss. The third one was a really big loss, um, but he had wins in a row over at the time when two hundred five was the peak division over Belfour, over Ortiz at first over Liddell, and then when he came back to heavyweight and no one expected him to beat Tim Sylvia, and then he beat the fuck out of him. And then it went to, uh, uh, he fought Gabriel Gonzaga, and that was an incredible night, and blah, blah, blah. He just had these, like, hugely punctuated moments. He never had one as big as when Holm beat Rousey. That's the, 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 when you think of MMA upsets, you think of that. But he had more uh, slightly lesser thans. 
In other words, like he hasn't sold three million pay-per-views, just to give an example, but he sold like five one millions in that way. And so to me, there's a little bit of a difference. You had a lot of really memorable moments with Couture versus with Holm. What do you think? Uh Uh-oh, did we lose him? No, I'm good. I'm good. But I I, 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 yeah. ca- I missed the end of your question. My, my volume dipped out. I'm back, Luke. I'm here. Uh, it's I okay. You. Just I was, I was just saying you had a lot more punctuated moments with Couture than you did with Holmes. That's fair. That's certainly yeah. fair. And I think to, to make this comparison really work, she's going to need that big moment that I mentioned. And, you know, it would be more likely to happen if the UFC ever forced Nunes to give up one of the belts. Let's say she gave up Bantamweight and she just stayed at 145, defended it once per year and kept going cash and checks. Could I see Holly as the Bantamweight champion again? I mean, look, that's the problem is that she's better. She hasn't fought Ladd yet, but she's better than everyone else in that division up to this point. And I don't see her getting worse. How much depreciation in her game, despite how damning that loss to Nunes was, are you seeing any? I mean, could could she still be doing this at 43 at this level, Luke? I, I don't know. I don't know. I see somebody if, who's if getting better. Me, yeah. If you would told, and I do think 135 is her best weight class here um, for all intents and purposes. Pena is an interesting case, though, because Pena still has a lot of youth on her side and is clearly finally getting back to form. It'll be a very interesting. This is the kind of fight that Couture maybe would have won that home to this point, this sort of middle of the road, but highly important one. She hasn't won yet. I would like to see. I'd like to see what she can do going forward. It's a big, big test. And you're right about favoring it, by the way. All right, let's get you to our give, last point here, so we can get to some of the stuff on the show here well, very quickly. BC. One point. One more point. Do you give Holly credit for the way she fought Cyborg in that decision loss? Yeah, yeah, I do. Cyborg's really tough. You're going to go to what you have, and you know it wasn't the best, but it wasn't far from the worst. Yeah, it's okay. okay. All right, right, Uh, last but certainly not least, BC, this weekend, we get back to the sweet science. The number one pound-for-pound fighter, by most people's account, Canelo Alvarez, back in action against Turkey's Avni Yildirim. Now, what is interesting about this, BC, is twofold. One, Canelo has opened, and I am not joking around about this, as a, get this, 50-to-1 favorite. Not 1-5-to-1, 5-0-to-1, 50-to-1 and doesn't have any apologies for it. Quote, BC, I don't have to give any explanation for fighting Yildirim, Alvarez told Boxing Scene. Quote, I really don't have to give any explanation because they're never going to be happy with anything. I just fought number one in 168, which was Callum Smith, and they're not happy with that either. So I have nothing to say and nothing to explain. I don't care. Should he have to apologize for fighting a guy he basically should not be fighting? All right, this is really damning that it's 50 to 1. Now look straight up, Luke. He's the best fighter in the world. I've seen some MMA uh, fans or journalists tweet out like this is the equivalent of like, you know, a UFC champion fighting a guy who's not even in the organization and not even ranked, right? I mean, like it's it's bad. There's been part of me this whole time that says, look, that's boxing. What I meant by is they have that mandatory system. This is Canelo saying, I don't want to lose the WBC title. So I'll do this fight but I'll make it a spectacle. I'll put it in the Miami Dolphins Hard Rock Stadium. I'll let, you know, they're going to have, what, like 15,000, 20,000 fans there, you know, spread apart. I'll have a big event in Florida. Luke, he's already come out and said, which I wanted to ask you whether you're, whether you think this is fine. He said that, you know, he believes he represents all Latinos in this fight, you know, not just Mexicans. That's why he's bringing the fight to South Florida where we really don't ever see any big fights of no, especially in boxing. Um, 
but then I'll be back in May to unify against Saunders. And as we talked about last week, I want to fight two more times after that. So I've already been on record saying, look, Canelo's just trying to keep his belt. He's playing the system here uh, in, in bowing to it and saying, you know, this is your system. Fine. I'll do it. But I'll also do what's good for my legacy and give the people what I want. But then you look at 50 to one, Luke, and you really start to ask yourself, what the frick are we doing? And one thing, when when I when we argued when this fight was announced, right? You were like, dude, why are we doing this bullshit? And I, I did, I'll admit, I took the boxing stance of, don't worry, it has to be done, but he's coming back two months later. He's a man of his word. Go, you know, yay Canelo. Luke, I even failed in that moment to look at the facts. First of all, Avni Yildirim's not that good to begin with. He's a rugged, raw brawler. I know he's got Joel Diaz as his trainer now. They're talking about adding things to him. He's a rugged brawler. The only other time he stepped up big, he got knocked and sent to hell by Chris Eubank Jr. Then he won five in a row. Then he fought for the title against Anthony Durrell. And you know what? He fought okay, but he lost that fight on cuts. He has not fought since that fight. So here's Yildirim on a two-year layoff coming off a loss. And the WBC is making him the number one mandatory contender. Oh, and Canelo and the WBC had to pay Yildirim to step aside so Canelo could unify against uh, Callum Smith in his last fight. Yes, this is what is freaking wrong with boxing. Um, If Yildirim had bounced back from that Durrell fight, Luke, and had beaten a credible ranked contender right? Somebody with a pulse, a Jose Uzkatagi, right? Somebody like, you're like, okay, that's a tough out, a regular guy. Yes. He didn't do that, Luke. Yes. Boxing sucks. This is ridiculous. Now I'm not here to damn Canelo and those comments come off very arrogant, but he's right. I mean, what else am I going to do? I'm trying to play boxing system and keep my belts. Luke, would you prefer that he gives up the WBC title to avoid this bullshit? Well, no, his stated goal is I want to unify. Look, we want fighters to unify, right? We want guys to have one division, one champion, all four major belts. But this is a crock of shit. This is bullshit. In the very best case scenario, you don't even give Yildirim a puncher's chance. You know what he's going to do? He's going to brawl and make it fun for as long as it lasts. And it's probably going to last three to four rounds. And he's going to get knocked the hell out like James Kirkland did when he fought Canelo at Minute Maid Park or whatever it's called in Houston a couple years ago, right? Kirkland's a fun brawler. He came to brawl. He got sent to hell. That's what's going to happen here. But I think the odds makers putting the 50 to 1 stamp on there, yeah, we should all, even hardcore boxing protector BC, step up and say this is a crock of shit. Thank you, Canelo, for coming back quickly afterwards, for giving the fans in South Florida an event, for saying I represent all Latinos, Luke, including the Colombians in your house. Does he? Does he really, Luke? Uh, sort of. Okay. Yes. Yes. But this is bullshit. This is absolute bullshit, Luke. Yeah. Um, I don't have much to add to what you said. You could, you did it better than I could. The only thing I would contribute to the conversation, BC, is I understand why the notion of a top contender getting an opportunity against Canelo, even if he doesn't have a big name, makes sense. A mandatory challenger. Because you want the challenger. If you if you are the champion, you have a responsibility to defend that weight, uh, that bait, that belt. Excuse me, in that weight against the person who has done the best work up to that moment. It is your responsibility, whether or not that person is famous or popular or in other ways an attractive opponent or not. And so you have to like that there is a little bit of fairness baked in. But what has happened is that fairness has been inverted into now a tax on the fans. 
by combination of adding titles. So, for example, in the WBA, uh, Canelo is the champion, and then David Morrell is, I guess, co-champion, and then WBA gold is Fedor Chudinov. Then you get to the number one contenders, Eidos Yurbosnoli, two, David Benavides, three, David Lemieux, and then four goes on from there. That's just one of the sanctioning bodies. There are three other ones. With all the weight classes, with all the belts, and now with all the sanctioning bodies, you are now having a case where a fighter of Canelo's stature, he was going to be favored to win against any number one mandatory who wasn't famous in a major way anyway. But what it has done is it has made things that before being mandatory and kind of important for the weight class, they are now utterly meaningless. Too many belts, too many sanctioning bodies takes a thing from being mandatory and turns it into a tax. I un- Alvarez can't make the right decision here. Either he stays and does what he's supposed to to keep the belts because that's the thing we want him to do, or he gives it up and then goes and finds all the fights that, he, that are most important for him, and we say, oh, he doesn't have any belts. This fucking guy can't win. He's only playing with the hand he was dealt. I'm just saying, this is why I really worry about the Ali Act. If you wanted to make that a rule in uh, this, this country at a federal level, there would need to be some kind of uh, supervision of that rule and some kind of articulation that there could only be one or two sanctioning bodies, one or two rankings, because more than yeah. that... It will fuck your sport up. Yeah. Can we get the Bama rankings in here, please? I want to close by saying this on this topic. Uh, If you're an MMA fan and you haven't skipped over this portion yet, and you're saying, okay, BC, I'm trying to like this. I'm trying to watch this fight on DAZN on Saturday. But, like, why would this guy get the mandatory? It's got to be corruption, right? I'm not here to tell you I have facts or proof to tell you that Avni Yildirim is here only by corruption. But there's a working theory, yes, that in many cases, why do guys get ranked number one when they've beaten no one or they're coming in off a loss? Uh, yeah, because the sanctioning bodies accept uh, dirty money behind the scenes. I don't have proof of it, but it's got to be the only thing. It's got to be the only thing you can even believe at this point, right? And there has been proof of it, by the way, in the past. This is a gross sport in that regard. I hate that that that's part of it, Luke. It's bullshit um, that it is. But can we at least close this segment with uh, with some levity, Luke? With some, some, some uh, laughter? Because there's one thing that Turkey's Avni Yildirim does bring to the table in this fight, Luke. I don't know if you're aware of his manager. His name is Ahmet Oner. And Ahmet Oner became a... a hold on, uh, hold super... on. Is he, is he more or less insane than Angel Garcia? Uh, more. Well, well more insane. So let me set the stage here. He fell into our laps as hardcore boxing fans as a super villain slash hero a few years back. They did the World Boxing Super Series tournament at super middleweight... Yildirim was fighting Chris Eubank Jr., biggest fight of his career. He ends up getting knocked out. But in the pre-fight press conference, Luke, okay, all the players are sitting at the table. Ahmet Oner is sitting next to Yildirim. And somebody in the corner of the room on Eubank's team laughs at something Oner says. And he proceeds to lose his shit like five times to the point that every time he went to sit down again to restart the press conference... Two seconds later, he'd get up and dart across the room. We've got footage to play the best moment of it. Let's give this guy his moment. I like just get back. Don't laugh at me, please. Don't laugh. Don't laugh at me. When you laugh again, don't laugh at me. When you laugh, you son of a bitch, I fuck your... 
I fuck your wife in your bed. I'm gonna go to meet them. I'm gonna go to the security. No fight with me. Let's go. 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 Let's Sir, this is a professional environment here. Uh, so he sat down after that, like I mentioned. He's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll be professional. And then two seconds later, darted and tried to attack the guy. Uh, postscript, Luke, I used to host that Fox show, uh, PBC Face to Face, where uh, you know we would sit on the set in L.A. and interview two fighters who were about to fight. Yildirim was scheduled to fight Anthony Durrell. And uh, about an hour before filming, I showed this video to the producers. I was like... Uh, you know, Yildirim's got a plus one coming with him. And they were like, who is it? I'm like, it's Ahmet Oner. You know who this guy is? And uh, <laughs> they hired a security guard, Luke, on set within an hour's notice just after watching this video. Luckily, nothing happened. But uh, this guy's a uh, celebrity. I would love to see him get into Big Red Canelo's face here during this uh, press conference and uh, make some magic happen, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Canelo! Uh, I, I will F your wife with her, with the eyeball tattoos on your forearm while while your arm watches me. You know, something like that, Luke, could be fantastic. Yes, I, maybe that great joke, BC. Very funny. Uh, all right. Uh, hey, Morning Combat listeners, I want to let you know about Paramount+. Plus. You've probably seen the journey to Mount Paramount. Uh, spots featuring Bill Cower, James Corden, Patrick Stewart, uh, Beavis and Butthead. Yes, quite the squad, but Paramount+, Plus is live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day to movie night with Paramount+. Plus. Stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, and Mission Impossible, and new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like Star Trek Picard, The Good Fight, and The Stand. And get this, it's where you can dive into live sports from us. CBS Sports, bitches. Uh, including the NFL, March Madness, the Masters, and Champions League Soccer. Plus stream hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Smithsonian Channel, and Comedy Central. Live sports, breaking news, a mountain of entertainment, Paramount Plus, streaming March 4th, everybody. March 4th, Paramount Plus, live sports. There you have it. All right, BC. Are you back with us? I'm here, Luke. Okay, buddy. It's time for SJ Dubs. Take it, take over, good sir. All right. Uh, some Wednesdays, Luke. You know what we do in these parts? We bring on the dishonorable Judge Luke Bader Ginsburg to submit a ruling on the latest beefs on social media from fighter to fighter. We call it Social Justice Wednesdays. Bump, bada, bump, 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 bump. All right, Judge, we got three cases to rule on here. Luke, uh, let's begin here in the UFC's women's... Oh, I guess we won't. Let's begin here with your good buddy, Jake Paul. He's back to Twitter, Luke. And this time he's back with part two of the MMA Chronicles as he puts on his impersonation hat and does some slander to some of the biggest names in combat sports. Luke, sit back and enjoy here. Dana... I'm sorry, I fucking lost, mate. I bought this fucking Lamborghini yacht, though. <laughs> Beef, what do you think about Conor McGregor getting knocked out? This is what happened when you spar little kids, okay? I spar bad. A lot of people are asking about what happened in the Khabib meeting. I told him he comes back, I'll give him a dry hand job. They call me funky in college because I take shit standing up. What do you think about Mike Chandler knocking out Den Hooker? Someone say hookers? I plan on taking out Jake Paul in the seventh round. What does Nate Diaz think he is in his fucking gamer chat? 
Vroom, vroom, bitch. <laughs> I don't talk shit about my chair. Look, it's got the Conor McGregor feature. Oh, I'm knocked out. Ben! You! Soldier boy. You must respect Jim. Conor McGregor, no respect Jim. Me and Nate are super happy because they made weed legal for the USC. You can now smoke weed and pass the drug test. Just got back from my hip surgery. Now I'm going to fight Jake Paul for a bunch of money. I'm going to invest all of it in a Sia coin. Come and do something, no, Conor. Fuck you. Who the fuck? Dana. All right, Luke. This is a bit of a setup because I know that you love this shit, Stain, and you can't wait for his April 17th boxing match with Ben Askren. Pins, pins and at, needles, BC. Pins and judge, needles. Judge, ba judge Luke Bader Ginsburg, will you at least rule that this was kind of well-written and hilarious and well-performed? Okay, I, I, I would be doing a disservice to this audience and frankly lying if I said I didn't laugh at the Soldier Boy reference where when uh, Askren was knocked out and he was doing this, and they played the Soldier Boy song. Okay, all right, that was that was funny. I'll give him that. Uh, the rest of it, you know, mildly brain damaged, but that 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 was a, that was a good thing. All right, all right. I think it's the best moment of Jake Paul's career, Luke. So uh, shout out to that. Uh, hopefully, we did get you see him on he did show. an interview where Jose? Did you see he did an interview this week? I forget. Like it was like an athlete podcast, and he said that YouTube was harder than boxing, which. When he explained it, it actually uh, it actually made sense, in the sense that like YouTube is you know he said he put up uh, 800 videos in 800 days one time you know like without a break just straight. And it's like yes, it's this unceasing kind of you know every day is Groundhog Day kind of thing, and that can wear on you. But I'm like YouTube is he's very successful at it obviously, but it's like dude, yes, of course YouTube is harder than boxing because the level at which you do YouTube is much higher than the level at which you do boxing. Um, Maybe take that into account. Luke, uh, true or false? There's more similarities between you and Jake Paul than there are differences. You're both males. Yep. You're both white. You mm -hmm. both made your money on YouTube in your name. <laughs> That's not quite true, but okay. You both like combat sports. Yep. You're both outwardly disliked and have no care for that fact. Yeah, you know what? Maybe he's my secret twin, and the reason I dislike him is he's really just like me. Yeah, okay, there it is. All right, so SJW number two here, Luke. Uh, women's strawweight division, my favorite division in all of UFC. Uh, Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill. Let's go to the Twitters here, Luke. It starts out with Tisha sending this. Here's the facts at Angie Overkill. Fact number one, I beat you already. That was 2015, Luke, when they fought early in their UFC run. Fact number two, I also beat Michelle and Rose, who beat both of you. Three, I signed a contract to fight you in December. You unfortunately got COVID. Four, I won my last two fights, and you lost yours. And you say you're on a seven-fight win streak. I beg to differ. Number five, I well, fought... Okay. I've fought all of the champions at 115. I'm definitely not scared of you. Six, like you, I wish to fight someone ranked above me and advance my career. And seven, beat some ranked opponents, and then if it makes sense, I'll fight you. Good luck with the last one. Okay, that's Tisha's opening statement. Here's the response from Angie. You're still sitting out for over half a year instead of, of, of fighting a fight you already signed the contract for despite my last two losses. Instead of writing this essay, you could have signed the contract to fight me. You Ooh. beat me six years ago pre-USADA. You sound scared, homie. Wow. Do we have any other retorts in the back here? 
Is that where the argument ends? Luke, um, Tisha Torres did win their 2015 fight at UFC 188 by three-round unanimous decision in Mexico City. Uh, who wins this argument, and uh, should Tisha accept the fight? Well, that's a good one. I got to say, both got their blows in there. Um, in the end, I feel like maybe Tisha, although I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't know how to answer. Maybe you can help me with this one, because what matters more, the fact that Tisha does have the win and all that kind of stuff and beat people that beat her, or the fact that, like, I'm ready to fight right now. All of this is because you don't want to fight right now. Uh, right now. Just sign a contract right now. There is something about that I'll sign right now thing that ends up being a trump card, right? True. True. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting debate from this standpoint. Although Tisha, you would think, has the leverage because, one, she beat her already. And, two, she's on a two-fight win streak. Luke, they are against lower-level names. And she lost, what, five in a row before that? Angie's two losses are both split decision to ranked elite fighters in Claudia and uh, I forgot who the other one was against Luke. Uh, uh, also against uh, uh, Michelle Waterson. So, yes. um, yeah, I think uh, I think Tisha should, should take the fight, Luke. Okay, right. she will. They'll, they'll fight. They'll fight, and it's a hell of a matchup. I actually love the contest the second time around. You know, I don't know how relevant the USADA part is, but six years, I, we always talk about it. That's the best time to do rematches. The best time. Let a few years pass. Six, not per se, but let a half, let, years should pass before you do it again and then figure it out and see where these guys are, ladies are in this particular case. It'll be awesome to see. All right, Judge uh, Luke Gator, Bader Ginsburg here. I'd like you to weigh in on our final SJW. It's not a back and forth, but there, there needs to be a ruling here. Uh, the great lightweight Dan Hangman Hooker Tweeted out a very sobering update on his life. Uh, can we throw that up on the screen here, fellas? Uh, he typed 44 days down, 12 to go. And it's a picture of him. And over his shoulder, there's the fence with his wife and daughter behind it. And just to update people, uh, the COVID protocol for him to be able to fly to to uh, Las Vegas. And uh, Luke, who did, he, uh, who did he lose to? Oh, Michael Chandler. Chandler. At yeah, the, the COVID was so intense pre and post to be able to return to New Zealand that what he's been living in a hotel, only able to talk to his wife and daughter through a fence. Uh, Luke 44 days down, brother. Have you been in South Florida lately? Forget fathers and sons that are French Canadian. You can kiss any stranger on the mouth. I mean, they don't even wear masks. Can we let this guy hug his family already? I know it's like, I mean, he hasn't been in quarantine for 44 days. Uh, he's been away from his family for 44 days. But Jesus, man, you want to talk about this dude's not going to see his family till March and he fought in January. I mean, that is fucking crazy. That 12 is 12 more days at a Jesus. hotel, Luke. Ugh. Well, my understanding is they're putting them in really nice hotels. If you ever followed like any of the people who have gone to New Zealand to corner or to fight Adesanya or anybody in his crew, they'll, you can see the hotels that they're in when they come back. Like New Zealand puts them in really nice places. So, you know, it's a gilded cage in ways, but... To your point, it doesn't matter. That long away from your family, that's got to be a fucking nightmare. I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, I 100% I feel bad for the guy. But, uh, Luke, we made it through another SJW. I don't know if that segment's going to survive, Luke, all right? We had some highs and lows, okay? It had some yeah, good moments. Yeah, I don't know if it is either, but, you know, we're giving it its college try. All right, Luke, we got another segment that's been killing it on Wednesdays, okay? Let's hope that this Viva, you know, forever here. Uh, what we do is every Wednesday, your boy BC thinks of all the great questions he'd love to ask Luke on the air here, except for the fact that Luke is such a stringent producer credit-owning bastard 
that he doesn't let me work them into the rundown. So we've created this segment. Spin the black circle every Wednesday. It's time for the Wheel of Death. So here's the deal. If you're new to this part, we have 10 categories. Luke will spin the wheel five times. He gets what he gets. He has not read these in advance. And under good faith, he will give you a good faith answer. Luke, your categories for today are, please run the graphic, friendly fellatio, Doyle rules, <laughs> leave Gina alone, my other job, a case for Crosby, a hard-on for Alderaan, must love dogs, shitty cuck boxing, the district of deportation, and matchup Monday, Safredi versus the Strawweights. Luke, you know, dealers- I gotta say, these categories are usually better than the questions. These are amazing categories. Thank you very much, Luke. Time to spin the wheel of death. Yes, let's do it, Luke. You get what you get. Yes. Doyle rules. Doyle, I got a feeling your family is going down. Luke, it's no secret if you go back and rewatch any of the first 10 or so UFC cards that what you see looks a whole hell of a lot different from what we see today in modern MMA. But looking back on those early SEG days, which single rule change above all others has been the most important in helping the sport of mixed martial arts evolve from those prehistoric days to the national television airing UFC of today? Uh, You mean just through the first 10? You know, from the prehistoric days, you know, I said 10 or so, but you know what I'm saying here. From the old school days of, of, of where we were at UFC 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, what is the single rule that is most responsible for the modern product we see today? I'm not sure I understand that. In terms of its beauty or its safety? In terms of its change from the from the ah. way the sport was originally competed yeah. and contested. Okay, so a couple of things. It's not as big in terms of its meaningfulness uh, other than as a, a wider representation of something rather than the thing itself, but gloves getting the hands wrapped in gloves and making that part, you know, mandatory. Obviously, state sanctioning is the big one, really. State sanctioning more than any other one is the big one because with the state sanctioning comes the weight classes, which I was also going to mention, the gloves, the rules, the mouthpieces, the corner. It gave it gave the sport architecture and oversight, and for those reasons, going to the commissions um, is really the game changer. And it was, you know, the, the only part about it that folks sometimes tend to not realize is that was also a bit of a disaster. It was the short-term, maybe the only call to make. I'm not really criticizing UFC for because I don't even know if there was a better answer at the time. But the one real problem with that, and we're seeing it now, is one, it's not federal. It's 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 um, you know, it's a federation at this point, right? Because all the states have different rules. But more to that point, you have now handed over the rules of innovation to the state, and so getting things updated. The NFL has its own internal mechanisms each season to tweak that and tweak that and tweak that, see what works, go back to it, keep changing it, whatever they want. They have real flexibility to make sure the product catches up with the modern game. Because we've handed everything back to the uh, state, we, we have oversight and social acceptance, but we have massively reduced the capacity for rule and best practice innovation. And I think that's a real tragedy. 
Saying state sanctioning is probably the best answer. It's a very macro one, though. On a micro level, Luke, I liked what you said about the gloves. I mean, look, one thing about BKFC when we see that is, you know, there's a different strategy. You can't load up. It's a different style of, 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 of doing it. The gloves ha- have certainly done it. But do you think even more than weight divisions that, that the round structure is what – because I, I went back and watched. Mm-hmm. I think it was – what was Brawl in Buffalo, UFC 9 or 10 – and, you know, when you by that point, you had a little bit of an evolution going on where it wasn't so much uh, jujitsu expert against fat, tall guy. But when you had guys that were relatively evenly matched on the ground, you still saw long 15, 20 minute fights with no round breaks that typically involved a, a battle of a, a war of attrition and endurance with one guy sitting on the other's chest and trying to rotate out of that. I, I kind of feel like rounds is more important than anything to give that that structure and and remove that feeling of like we're gonna fight till one guy can't do it anymore you know yeah i think that's fair that's right up there with one of the most there's no denying that's one of the most important ones as well for the reasons plus it made it feel a little bit more like boxing which at that time was you know a way to help people understand it on some level so yeah there's in terms of audience education and just presenting a a, a palatable product that's absolutely a, a major and important factor because think about it before the structure of rounds and the idea that it could go the to a judge's score, um, you weren't necessarily like you were almost so, in some ways out outweighing your opponent and trying to and trying to mm-hmm. you know win an endurance battle more than anything. And you can argue in a five round championship fight sometimes you're still trying to win an endurance battle, but it, yeah, it's, but it's much more of a function of like the overall game and everything else. Then yes, you have to. I mean, now it's an endurance battle in the sense that you very much need to be in good shape. A handful of people can weaponize cardio, but it was much more weaponizable back then to the extent that anyone took that took that path. Do you see any potential rule change that we've either like, you know, talked about in the past, like maybe this could happen that could have a giant impact 10 years from now? I mean, is there anything still prehistoric when you look at the modern UFC UFC game of 2021 that you think shouldn't be there? I mean, you know, soccer kicks, 12, 12 six elbows, but is there anything more functional that like could change the game in the same method that we're talking about where it was, it looks no one has brought, Yeah. No one has brought it up, but it's become something that's really taken over the game. And the, again, I don't know if this will lead to anything, but to the thing you're pointing out, there's obvious ones, stomps, soccer kicks, knees to the head of a downed opponent, not necessarily on his back, but like on his knees for like a wrestling shot. You know, should you be able to knee that person? Blah, blah, blah. Those are all low-hanging fruit, but the one thing I have noticed that I think does stall the game out and is very helpful to the person who does it, but maybe there might over time develop a backlash, is locked hands. So in wrestling, if you've ever seen someone start from uh, you know college wrestling, for example, they call it referee's position, one person will get down on their hands and knees like this, and the other person will wrap their waist and their elbow, and as soon as they do, they wrestle. Now, if you can escape, you get a point, blah, 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 but the key is... In that moment, if you are the wrestler from the outside, you cannot lock your hands to hold them there. It's a penalty. Why? Because once you do that, it's very, 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 very hard to break. The very best ones can do it. They might let it go on purpose in certain situations, but it's it's extremely difficult to break. And as you've seen in MMA, guys will get locked hands and then hold it for a round, walk the person around, trip them, pull them back up. You know, that kind of a thing. But they don't ever let their hands break. And you'll see the other person fighting it. Now, Jose Aldo has been an incredible hand breaker. And he can escape that kind of a thing. I'm just pointing out many, many fighters who do not have a well-rounded skill set, but have a little bit of a wrestling base. They will win rounds this way by just kind of getting the the hands locked. 
I wonder if over time people might start asking for separations from that like they do someone being pressed into the fence. Yeah, that's a good call. I wonder if we ever see a dramatic change to the scoring system, which we've had this debate a million mm. times. You know, is it worked using the 10-9 boxing scoring? I wonder if you see some kind of dramatic change in which uh, judges are instructed to favor one thing over another, if that changes the type of style of fights we see. It's interesting, Luke, you know? Yep. yep. All right. Let's spin it a second time, Luke. Let's see what you get, okay? You get what you get. All right, let's see if I've got one that has an illicit title in it. Uh, my other job. <laughs> no, okay. Luke, this is not about your old serious XM job. Luke, let's just imagine a scenario. Let's say MK continues to be a rollicking success, and you and I both achieve all of our financial and critical goals over the next couple of years, right? And let's say because mm -hmm. of that, Showtime approaches you and says, Luke, we've really got something special here with you, and we know this. And no offense to BC, but we think there's room if you're interested for a solo spinoff. Maybe we'll start off one day per week, but on something separate as a topic from combat sports. And the topic could be of your choice. And the good news is we'll pay you more and we'll even give you a producer credit. Luke, the only catch in this situation is you need to tell them the topic and the name of the show, anything other than boxing or MMA, within the next 60 seconds to accept this offer. So, Luke, which subject matter, other than combat sports, would you feel most comfortable launching a spinoff solo podcast about? Jesus. Uh, one of two directions. I would do one on strength sports. It's just a thing that I love. I don't, Not that I know. I do not consider, I, you know, definitely not an expert in that at all, but um, certainly would be willing to get into that. And then... If it wasn't that one, I would do some kind of political podcast where focusing Ooh. on understanding the sort of the technocratic side of policy a little bit, um, which would be boring. Now, now I had Showtime mentioned solo. And, sorry to interrupt you. I'd mentioned solo, but it doesn't have to be solo. Let's say they, they gave you the option to, you know, get a co-host and basically do MK of something else. Do you think, uh, you know, MK politics with you and a different <laughs> different co-host than me uh, would be that is something you could excel in, create traffic, enjoy? Yeah, uh, all those things. I don't know that I really want to, but you're asking me, could I do it? Yeah, I feel like I could do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, all right. You don't have any name ideas, Luke? Dude, I I tried to, this is a true story. When we were trying to think of the name of this show, uh, I, I sat down for like a fucking day coming up with names. <laughs> they were all terrible. And then uh, the only one I could think of that was like halfway decent was Headliners. Right, because I thought well, that's what, the show was slightly different in my mind at the time, but you know, basically what you see. And I went to my wife and I was like, "What do you think about these choices?" And she's like, "They're all bad." And Headliner sounds like a 1980s cover band, and I was like, "Fuck, she's <laughs> sounds right. like a strip club name." <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, sounds like it's a, it's it's the worst fucking name ever. So cabaret. I would club? not yeah. leave that that decision to me. I'm terrible at shit like that. Uh, well, I'm gonna be honest. I love MK and the whole what the brand means, but you know, the first time I heard Morning Combat, I was like. Yikes. Yikes, baby. Yeah, I didn't right. love it either, but, you know, it's it's okay now. It is us, yeah. Luke, I'd like to do, uh, well, you know, pro wrestling, if I got back into it, I, I already know I can do that, but I'd like to do either a 90s NBA show or oh. a, uh, like, 
vinyl record 70s music show something like that you know where we where you kind of like review a, re- a new a new record each week and kind of nerd out in that area i think I yeah think dude we, we'd be very poor if we made those cho- <laughs> choices yeah yeah we would right. not we would not be doing okay okay well let's let's keep this thing going then let's spin it all a right. third time luke you get what you get all right all right all right i mean there's let's good questions there's bad questions you get what you get a hard oh. on for Alderaan. All right, is this a Star a Wars thing? A hard on for Alderaan. Luke, it's no secret you're a big old Star Wars nerd like myself, even if you hate the friggin' shit out of fan service, okay? I'm sure you've spent much of your adult life secretly wondering which character in the Star Wars universe you most emulate today as an adult, right? And as much as I'd love to stick it in your face and say the answer should be Chewbacca, given how unkept... <laughs> and generally angry you are, I admit, and this is a compliment, that Luke Thomas very much has a Han Solo vibe in today's MMA media world. What do I mean by that? You're a self-made marauder who can't be properly classified as a true hero or villain, and someone who prefers to work alone, trust no one, yet... Like Han Solo, Luke, you were eventually willed into joining a cause to play on the winning team after finding the love of your life. Now, for Han Solo, that was Princess Leia. He joined the rebellion. For you, it's your love of mixed martial arts and cashing checks. So that's why we're doing MK today, okay? So let's establish here, Luke. All right? You're Han Solo. I'm more of like the badass episode six version of Luke Skywalker dressed in all black, full-on Jedi and Jay, well, Jay's kind of like one of those annoying Trade Federation viceroys from I'm the sorry, Phantom Menace. Your Luke Skywalker is that who you? Yeah, full on Jedi. That's how Luke, you imagine yourself. Okay, Jay okay. is you know he's Jay's like Nuke Gunray or Rune Hako. You know those viceroys of the Trade Federation that nobody respects that are really annoying. <laughs> but let me ask you this, Luke: What about the rest of prominent MMA media? Which of our journalistic brethren? both loved or hated best represent different members of the star Wars universe. I'll just say this. A lot of contenders for job of the hut. A lot of contenders. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's terrible. That's, that's, that's a mean thing to say. Uh, Jesus. And here's my daughter who's rampaging through the house, like Godzilla through Tokyo. Um, Okay, let's think about this. So who is Chewbacca if it's not me? But Chewbacca, uh, dude, Chewbacca is like loyal. You know, he's true. there for his friends. Yeah. He's a little bit angry, a little bit tall, a little bit weird looking, but you know, you could you could accuse him of not sh- like when people when dude, when people are like, "Hey, I need you to help me fight these these local weirdos." Chewbacca's ready to roll every time. <laughs> yeah. He's like your that he's like true. an ace yeah. in the hole. So yeah. who is that? Like and Danny he's Segura? Good with kids. Or- in women, you know, he's a nice guy at the end of the day, right? I mean, he's, you know, yeah. Yeah, Chewbacca, Chewbacca's not a bad person. So I might say Danny Segura is Chewbacca. He's been super loyal this whole okay. time. Um, who's Darth Vader? <laughs> well, Darth Vader, don't forget, also came around to be good again. Who's Palpatine? Look, <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't mean, know enough about the situation to say. But he's there. <laughs> Is the schmo uh, Jar Jar Binks? Where are we going with this? Look. <laughs> Shout out to the schmo. Me so ready. 
fully joking, obviously. Um, uh, yes, I know. People, we're having a good time. Lighten up out there, okay? All right. I mean, who's Chuck, I right? I couldn't figure it out. Who the hell is Chuck? Chuck Mindenhall? Yeah, he's got an Obi-Wan, like, like veteran vibe and coolness to him, right? Yeah, dude, he's definitely a little... He's on the Jedi Council, for sure. Yes, you know what yes, I mean? yes. And I feel like... I feel like... Here's the big key question. Who is Mace Windu? Because Mace was a beast and had and had Palpatine beat until fucking Anakin fucked it all up. Um, fair point. That's a good... These are good... We should, we should, we should fill this out. Actually, I'm, I'm a bit stumped at the moment. But okay, okay. we should fill some of this out. It'd be funny as shit. We can shelf this. We can revisit this. Get some. Get the people to chime in too. Maybe yeah, uh, you my know buddy what? How about this? How about this? Hold on, hold on. How about this? Call an audible here. Put up the graphic. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com if you have it. Fill it out for us. So you got to fill out all of the ones, episodes four, five, and six. Lando Calrissian. But we also want the prequels. So you got to tell me who Mace Windu is. And then you even got to tell me who the Kylo Rens are as well uh, from the from the last three, but the central three, four, five, and six, most important. Fill fill that out for us. That'd be fucking hilarious. You know, Chuck That's might really be. Funny. I, I think Chuck's more Qui Gon Jinn in a lot of ways as well. You know, I, shout out to Chuck. All right, thank you. Thank Let's you go to much. the next question from the MMA media. Chewbacca, who knock solo? Let's go over to Jabba the Hutt. Uh, one more from me, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Look, uh, you want to uh, spin uh, this wheel again? <laughs> Did I tell you we used to torture a guy in the Marine Corps like that? No, no, no. I've, I've told this story before. We had this dude in the Marine Corps. He was in my unit. He was a good Marine, but his last name was Solo, and it was spelled S-O-L-O-E. And, of course, you, know, you, you don't know people by their first names. You just know what's on their name tape. And we used to fuck with this guy repeatedly. You know, we would wa- <laughs> we'd walk in the rooms and we would give him orders, like talking like Jabba the Hutt, like Chinaka Lolo Fa Solo, and like just screaming him in to get him to do shit. <laughs> and uh, and he didn't like it too much. He got really fucking annoyed by it, but we thought it was funny. I don't think Danny Segura can be Chewbacca because the size difference is troubling, Luke. You know, I think of Danny Segura more as like Salacious Crumb. You know, that little little dude that was Jabba's sidekick, the little like the, the creature guy. Yeah, yeah. that guy. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Princess Leia choked that guy to death. Yeah, all right. Uh, Luke, let's spin it a fourth time. Let's go. It's already a shit show. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Must love dogs. All right. I'm down All for that. Right, Luke. I like the doggies. Yeah, this is not a question if you're asking about the 2005 rom-com of the same name starring John Cusack and Diane Lane. We're talking about a different breed of old bitches, Luke. Underdogs. Despite being the UFC's light heavyweight champion, Jan Blachowicz, who, by the way, turns 38 years old today, happy birthday to the Polish Thunderdome himself. Luke, he currently sits on William Hill's sportsbook as a plus 190 underdog for next mm. weekend's bout against uh, Israel Adesanya. Look, that's obviously rare for a reigning title holder to be, you know, a fairly two-to-one big dog here. But it's far from the UFC record. Trivia time, Luke. Which UFC champion entered a title bout as the biggest underdog in the promotion's history? And the answer is plus 400. So which Ooh. UFC champion was plus 400 entering a title defense. Okay. 
So let's think about this. This was somebody who had to be badly outmatched, meaning if they were a champion, they were probably going up against someone who not only beat them, uh, but did so mightily. So I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong here, is it when... Two, 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 two guesses here. Either the second St. Pierre Hughes... Or Couture and Lesnar? Is it one of the two? You hit it right off the top. Matt Sarah, a UFC Hall of Famer with an 11 and 7 pro record. Look, plus uh, no, 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 no. I said, I said, I said, I said, uh, I said GSP and Hughes. I fucked, I got it wrong. So you're talking about the rematch with St. Pierre. And oh, Matt yeah, Sarah. you yeah, got yeah. it wrong. So you, yeah. it was, so you got it wrong. And I, and I ruined the segment. All right. It was Matt Sarah plus 400 mm. in Montreal against GSP in the rematch, Luke. That's okay, wild. Fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you, there was a, uh, when it was announced that Nico Montano was going to make her first title defense against Valentina Shevchenko a couple of years back, do you remember that Montano was plus 800 as a champion, Luke? Yeah, which seems generous, but uh, but she never, the fight was never made, so. The fight was never made. I mean, 50 to 1, Canelo over Yildirim, that's, uh, that's pretty insane here. Plus 400, plus 800. All right. Luke, uh, who knows if this segment will survive next week, but you got one more spin, brother. Let's do it. Let's do it. I feel like this thing spins too long. The District of Deportation. Well, this will be insensitive, but go ahead. <laughs> Luke, no one loves D.C., our capital city, more than you. Your right forearm tattoo says it all. Can we show it to the people, Luke, one more time, please? Yeah? No? Okay, there it is. Luke, let's imagine a world, though, in which tomorrow... DC, not Cormier, stopped loving you back. And after a messy public scandal, you needed to get the hell out of our nation's capital and never show your face again. I'm talking mm. pack your shit up today and be gone. Full family, put the have that bum who lifts weights in your front yard to put the for sale sign out, okay? So based on everything, Luke, from housing costs to crime, culture, food, local sports teams, education, and even the requirements of your current job, which city or region within these United States would make the most sense for you to move to, not just for you, but for wife, daughter, abuela, Uncle Pepe, Mocha, and all those other animals under your roof. And by animals, I mean your dogs, who I forgot the name of, not necessarily any other Latinos. So do not pin this on me, Luke. Um, yes, uh, which I understand US what you city meant. Would make the most sense. Where would you go tomorrow, e Luke? Yeah, easy call. I mean, I don't know that if if the job isn't on the line, you know, and it doesn't have any implications for that, then the the answers vary a little bit. But if it's for the reasons you cited, which is life change, and you know, it has to be good for me, but good for my job, and blah blah blah, it's New York City. New York City is easy. I almost moved there several times in the last ten years. Never really pulled the trigger. Just didn't quite have it in me, but. Uh, it is where I would go. I think New York City is one of the great cities of the world. I've seen a few of them myself. I think it competes with all of them and beats most of them for that matter. You know, a lot of people are upset with city living. I'm not. I think uh, there's an incredible energy and excitement. The best of everything has uh, a life in New York City. It's just an incredible place, whether you're in Manhattan or any of the other outer boroughs. Maybe not Staten Island, but certainly the other uh, three. So, um, <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck Staten yeah. Island. Uh, which, which borough would you pick if you had to pick one? 
I would prefer to live in Manhattan, but given the cost, I'd probably end up in Brooklyn. Um, okay. Uh, and like Queens a gentrified okay. hipster. Like, yeah, like I don't hipster. know if I'm, you know, I don't need to live next to a guy who makes his own ketamine, but, uh, <laughs> you know, small batch ketamine. But, um, yeah, I mean, my wife, I mean, you got to understand, like, I would want to be in a place that's a little neighborhoody, um, but also not a, a huge commute from the city. Um, you know, a place that's got a mixed culture. Um, so yeah. All right. All right. I, I'm just interested to know what that, how big that scandal is, what actually happened to get you to move out of there, Luke. But, uh, maybe one day we'll find that out. All right, Luke, we're running late. Uh, Wednesdays, you know, we make chicken shit salad out of a lot of chicken shit, but let's close with a segment that broke our heart last week, Luke. Let's see if how it works today. It's called fan submissions. Yes. You've got mail. All right, Luke. Uh, Morningcombat at gmail.com is the address for all of your wishes, needs, and artwork. Let's start out here, Luke. Our favorite people on the old IG, Bill and Jen's RV Adventures. They're still in California, Luke. And last week, good old Jen celebrated her birthday. It was a work day inside the RV, but she had the MK mug up there and elevated. So happy birthday out there to Jen from Bill and Jen. Luke, I touched base with Bill. I said, you know, how long do you have to map out the plans? They got a couple month plan. They're going to hit the five national parks in Utah. They're just going to continue to to live the dream, Luke. All right. I mean, it's amazing. It's the best life any human can have is what they're having right here. Doesn't It doesn't I don't care how rich you are or whatever. What do you think about you and I? Now, we couldn't do this full time, but maybe for like a month, we get an MKRV and it's like you, me, Gaff and Manich and Mikey. And we hop in there and we just tour the country. We do episodes from national parks. We do live shows. You know, we just we just get on out there and record the whole thing, Luke. I think I think that's one of the best ideas ever. And I would absolutely do it. I would absolutely do it. Thank you very much. I, our, uh, I think it was Manich who just slid into our chat DMs there and said he's down for it. All right. Uh, number two here, Luke from Kareem T. Dear Brian and Luke, given Showtime does not ship to anywhere else in the U.S., I had to find an alternative solution to show my support. This is where I need to shout out my friend Tracy, who lives in Denver, and she kindly agreed to get this merch delivered to her door when she does not know what this show is about before sending it across to Geneva, Switzerland. Thanks, wow. MK, for being... For being there for us all day, nearly every day. Working from home is just that much better in my case. May all your gains be loyal. Kareem Trigg in the house. Luke, looking great. Yeah, I've heard good things about Geneva. My buddy moved from D.C. to Basel, and he fucking hates it, but he told me Geneva's the shit, so I'd love to see it. All right. Is that pronounced Basel? I would have guessed Basel. Basel? Yeah, I thought so too, but he says Basel, so I'll follow his lead. All right. Uh, Dennis F. sliding in. Hey, Brian and Luke, just delivering some mail in this dump known as Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yes, it is, brother. Uh, I really enjoy all your content and looking forward to the future. Hey, Brian, what is your opinion of Frank Pepe's Pizzeria in New Haven being voted the best pizza in America from Dennis? P.S. Go Yankees. Luke, uh, this man going postal on our behalf. Shout out to uh, to this fine American, right? Yep, stay safe out there. Thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for, uh, you know, watching the show. By the way, I, I, I told you this. I've been, I've never been a perennial skeptic that Connecticut doesn't have the best pizza. Everyone I know who has good taste in pizza tells me it's true. The problem, BC, is I've never really sampled it. I don't think I've ever been to, like, a famous Connecticut eatery. So we always talk about you coming here and, and BC does DC. 
But there's got to be an LT does CT at some point because I got to taste some of that Connecticut. Well, pizza. I was going to ask you. So look in New Haven, there's many good spots, but the two the two big ones are across the street or next door to each other. Excuse me. It's Frank Pepe's and it's Sally's. Luke Pepe's has become a chain in Connecticut and I think parts of New York. They had it at the Mohegan Sun. Did you try it when you were there? No, I did not. All right, I've never had the chain, but I, like a lot of Connecticut people and people in the Northeast, have waited out in line for two hours in the cold to get a chair right by the door and get the famous clam pie. Look, Pepe's is great, um, specifically if you come from an area that does not have great pizza and you're finally getting the thin New Haven style. You know, yeah, Pepe's is great. But when I go to New Haven, I don't go there. My favorite is Mm. Bar which is uh, typically about fourth or fifth on the list. Modern is modern pizza is like the new up and comer that has taken over the number one on the, on the younger people's list. There's a couple others that are there, but uh, shout out to new Haven and look the runoff. I grew up 18 miles from new Haven. Uh, I've been eating greasy Greek pizza for my whole life. That's another style that's popular in the Northeast. So uh, yes, new Haven pizza, Connecticut, New York pizza. It's, it's the best in the world. Is Frank Pepe's the best in the world. It would depend on your pizza history and what you like. I'm not a huge thin crust New Haven style guy, but obviously uh, it's top shelf stuff. So thank you, Dennis. Continue to do what you do. All right, Luke, let's speed it up here. Scott D sending us something about the cost of international shipping. (laughs) So it's you and I on the, you and I on the beach discussing, uh, whether it was worth it, Luke. Wait, wait. This is the uh, this is the beach from uh, Rogue One. Yes. This is yes. A, a, the the scare. This is Scarif. This is the this is the dunes on Scarif. Great call. Great call. Great call. Well, well done on this meme, Scott D. It even went over my head. So well done, right yeah, there. There you go. S and D. Let's. Uh, Jonah G says, we all know BC was shook when Luke asked Valerie Laredo about her DMs. Very true. And (laughs) Luke, I'm going to be honest. I did not know where that was going to go. Okay. Because I felt her. Why were you you so freaked out about it? I wasn't asking her to show me. I was asking her how many creeps there probably were harassing her because her photos had been a subject of controversy. I very also know normal when question. you ask when you ask a good-looking lady, especially one who herself posts very thirsty pictures, a comment about that category, whether you're being positive or negative, Luke, it's gonna be a little dicey. I was very nervous when I looked over at her initial reaction. That was like, who who that? Where is this coming from? Where are you going with this? All right, Luke? nah, she was fine. But all you like is booty. Hot Latino booty. We know that, Luke. Okay. Uh, Scott uh, D. Gu- coming guilty in with- as charged, sir. Scott D's got some Luke poetry for us in the next one. I promise we don't have 40 of these today. Uh, <laughs> like a train hitting a bug and being disturbed by the sound. Uh, Luke, what is this? I don't get what the reference. Either do I. It might be over my head as well. But you're a poet. There's a jazz band behind you. Is that the roots behind you? It looks like Samuel L. Jackson, and it does look like Questlove on the left of the screen there. All right. All right. I'm sure there's an explanation to why this was great. Thank you. All right. Richard A. is back with a creepy one. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Nobody puts BC in the corner. Please. No. No, Luke. Well, you know what? 
It looks like we lost weight, BC. That's good. Oh boy, uh, yeah, we stopped. We stopped buying one hundred dollars of Taco Bell for each other. That's great. Okay, yeah. well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Steve B is back with another meme. Let's see where this one's going. When my wife asked me if I'm watching fights again this weekend. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <clears throat> All right. All right. Uh, by the way, people think we need a better quality control on these, Luke. I don't know. Sometimes I agree with that. Alan W. says, big trouble in morning combat on the next one. Oh, yes, bitch. Yes. That is well done. That is well done. Luke, do you know if- I've never... I don't want to say I've never seen that movie because it was on HBO every day when we were kids. I've seen parts of it. I don't remember. I, I need to re. I need to catch up on this, Luke. Dude, you it's know what? We should do time. that. We should do a watch along together with the audience. Big Trouble in Little China is just an endlessly great movie. Um, but I'll, I'll candidly admit, one movie I've seen, I've never like to your point. I've never sat down beginning to end and watched it, but I've seen a million parts. I've never sat down beginning to end on Fight Club. Can you believe that? Wow. I know, oh, dude. I, did. I know. I did shrooms the first time I watched Fight Club. I, that that movie screwed me up big time, Luke. I thought I thought on the drive home that I was in the movie. You know, I was one of those nights, Luke. That was great. Okay, uh, Fernando C says he has a, two about BC and Luke's upbringing. Here's Luke. Luke's pampered upbringing in a historic antebellum mansion built on a plantation in Old Marietta. I wish <laughs> I lived in an apartment with a single mom, motherfuckers. And I dated Look, a girl how- who went to the a rich private school. I went to the fuck. I, ro- I rode the bus to school through my junior year. Only after I got a job did I get a beater for two thousand dollars for a go- from a government auction. BC. That was my first car. Oh, wow. I got a car. For, I got a. I got a, a, a white Corsica. I think Chevy. And it was so fucking shitty. If you rolled down the right window, it fell through the door. It was the fucking worst. I wish I had this kind of upbringing, bitch. I wish. Well- Luke, do you see how brilliant this is on Donald Trump's body is your father, Rob Thomas, and instead of your father's picture, it's Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20. That's great. But is that actually you, that kid, that, that chubby-looking kid? Is that no. You? They, what they might have done is taken my photo and then run it through one of those like apps that makes you look younger or older Yes, you know, and then just pasted it on there. Because it does kind of look like you. You kind of look like a, yeah, a little bit, like a, a little bit, yeah. All right, here's Fernando's second one. Uh, BBC's humble upbringing having been found in a canvas bag on the fourth floor of a sawmill in an impoverished town somewhere in the middle of Appalachia. <laughs> just just where they found my savior, Luke. Exactly. Thank yeah, you. You're, yes, you're, you're not- pretty close there to that fucking buzzsaw. Jesus Christ. <laughs> not very safe for what, you, buddy. What's those bottom pictures, Meech? Can we blow that up, please? Is there's a tip on tip? Uh, I can't tell what else is going on there. Like, or that is that part of the just the one? I don't know, but that's great. Yeah, dirty industrial yeah. people. Yeah, they're Thank just you, look right. BC. They're poor people. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, who, who cares? Fuck about these All peasants? right. I think we got one more from Alan W. Luke, and this is Luke in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Say what? I can't read that. Ronaldo. The again. bubble I says. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say Hinaldo one more goddamn time. <laughs> Y'all had me to that point. Y'all had me to... I was about to make a bad choice about my life. That's how much y'all had pushed me to that point. But I'm glad we were able to yep. come to a common sense solution. Yep. yep. Do you know what they call a Big Mac in Doha, Luke? A Royale with cheese. Exactly. 
bitch. Uh, thank you, folks, for the fine fan submissions this week. Uh, I know we kind of screwed the pooch last week by running 4,000 of them. But, uh, you know, Wednesdays, uh, we don't expect to go two hours, but we did, Luke. So that's the show for you this week. It is. It is. So let me remind folks how they can get more of this and then participate because we still have a Friday show. We have tomorrow's live chat at three that I will do. And we need your submissions for Dead Wrong. Best place to do that, of course, is going to be at, excuse me, Morning Combat at gmail.com. Morning Combat at gmail.com is the show email. Send all your inquiries uh, and uh, Dead Wrong submissions there. If you want to follow us on social media you certainly can it's morning combat consistently same name everywhere of course morning combat with a k but bc and i have a slightly different name between twitter and instagram you can see there but please give us a follow just the same uh if you want to try showtime you can go to showtime.com 30-day free trial and of course if you want to check out bellator i think they have a 4.99 for the first six months um deal there as well and of course you see that merch that bc has on his head you can get more of that store.show.com BC, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no, thank you for all of our viewers for the love for the great Reggie Jackson, who did, uh, if you didn't notice that, did bite me as we were about to go to off air there. But uh, <laughs> love that that critter. He's around here somewhere. Luke, what are your animals' names again? I keep forgetting. What do you got? So the cat is Moco, which means booger yep. in Spanish. And then the, the dog, the black dog is uh, Barbas. And then the, the yellow white dog is Lola. You can just call him Barbas. You don't have to do the whole, like, I'm yeah, he's Barbas. thing. Barbas, whatever. Okay. He's Barbas, okay. yes. Okay. All right. Well, All right. tell Barbas that, 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 tell Barbas that Canelo will be representing him this Saturday at Hard Rock Stadium. Okay. <laughs> I, will let, I will let him know. All right. Uh, thanks to Malka, Showtime, and CBS Sports who make this show possible. For Brian Campbell, I am Luke Thomas. I'll talk to you tomorrow for the live chat at 3. We'll be back together at 11 a.m. in the East on Friday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.